Dear child of God, nothing can touch you without God's permission. Everything you face, you have the grace to overcome. Let me tell you what's going on behind the scenes. God is ordering your footsteps. He's the type of God that does things like remove one opportunity from your life that was once a blessing and replace it with an even bigger opportunity. Or he'll move certain people out of your life, people who have served their purpose for that season, and he'll replace them with people who will elevate you to the next level of faith, people who will cultivate your gifts and help you walk in godliness. You see, child of God, don't try and hold on to the dead things in your life. That last opportunity had its season. Let it go. God has bigger opportunities in store. That last relationship didn't feed you anymore. Let it go. God has prepared new relationships for you. God says in his word, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. He is pulling the strings. Your every step is ordered. Dear child of God, you do not need the validation of others. You don't need the approval of other people. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fear. When you feel left out, when you feel rejected, or when you're hurt, don't let what you feel make you forget what God said. He says, you are chosen. You are redeemed. You are protected. You are a child of God. And I want to tell you this. God cares. God cares about your emotions, about your pain, and about your happiness. So many people are so gifted and talented, but they won't express themselves because they fear rejection. But be assured, express the gifts and talents that God gave you. Walk with the confidence that surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Walk in the full knowledge that you are on the winning team and the enemy has already been defeated. Dear child of God, God wants you to know he will never reject you. Dear child of God, have hope. The enemy wants to discourage you and make you feel like things will never get better, like there's no way out. But I want you to know you have a future. I want you to know that God can make all things new. He can take your problem and turn it into something good. Dear child of God, there is no need to be worried or anxious for God is with you. God loves you just the way you are. You were created in his image and that means you are unique in each and every way. God is behind the scenes pulling the strings. He is ordering your steps. He is the lamp to your feet. So walk with your head held high. Walk by faith, not by sight. Walk with the confidence that Psalm 23 gives us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Walk with the confidence that surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. 
Walk in the full knowledge that you are on the winning team and the enemy has already been defeated. Dear child of God, nothing can touch you without God's permission. You do not need the validation of others. You don't need the approval of other people. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fear. God orders your footsteps. God will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Don't ever forget that. You shall hold your peace. Dear child of God, when you feel left out, when you feel rejected or when you're hurt, your heavenly father tells you that he knows the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And I want to tell you this, God cares. God cares about your emotions, about your pain, and about your happiness. So many people are gifted and talented, but they won't express themselves because they fear rejection. But be assured, express the gifts and talents that God gave you. God loves you and accepts you because he decided to, not because of what you do or don't do. God desires to heal his people from past hurts caused by rejection. God wants you to know he will never reject you. Dear child of God, have hope. The enemy wants to discourage you and make you feel like things will never get better, like there's no way out. But I want you to know you have a future. I want you to know that God can make all things new. He can take your problem and turn it into something good. Dear child of God, there is power within you. There is a peace beyond understanding and spirit of love that is within you. Do you not know that 1 Peter 2 verse 9 calls you a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, his own special people? That means you represent the divine God. You are an ambassador representing God on earth. Child of God, do you not know that you have not been given a spirit of fear, but you have been given a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind? No longer are you a slave to fear. Do not live in fear. Renew your mind and rebuke every other spirit that is not of God. Do you not know that in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 7, you are called to come out from among them, be separated from the world, love the unbeliever like Christ, but do not be unequally yoked, do not conform to this world. You have a future. I want you to know that God can make all things new. He can take your problem and turn it into something good. God loves you and accepts you because he decided to, not because of what you do or don't do. God desires to heal his people from past hurts caused by rejection. God wants you to know he will never reject you. Dear child of God, have hope. The enemy wants to discourage you and make you feel like things will never get better, like there's no way out. But I want you to know you have a future. Claim the spirit of power, claim a spirit of love, and of a sound mind. Peace is yours, confidence is yours, 
Joy is yours. Healing and victory is yours. Child of God, do you not know that Proverbs 3 verse 5 tells you to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? Why? Because it is only when you fully trust God, when you give in and surrender all, it is only then that you can experience God's power, God's provision, God's protection, and His goodness. Philippians 4 verse 6 tells you, child of God, to not be anxious concerning anything at all. It tells you that through prayer, through supplication, and through thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So fight your battles on your knees. Tell God about it. Ask God for it and thank God for it. Do you not know that as a child of God, you have been given the authority to trample over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you, according to Luke 10 verse 19? Do you know the power you have been given by God? He promises you that nothing shall by any means harm you. Nothing. That should give you confidence that regardless of the size of the opposition, regardless of who the Goliath is in your life, it does not matter the giant you face. Nothing will hurt you. Dear child of God, do you not know that in Jeremiah you are told, Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things? I tell you all of this because this word should be a lamp to your feet. It should guide you when you truly understand that you have been given promises to stand on. Then it is up to us to believe. You have the choice to receive the word and claim it for yourself. Dear child of God, you are chosen. Play with fire. Don't play with fire. You might get burned. If you read the book of James, you'll find that it mentions the power of words. In fact, in James chapter 3, it says the tongue also is a fire. Think about that. A fire. Why? Why would a tongue be likened to a fire? You see, what James is trying to tell us is that the same fire that brings warmth to a house is exactly the same fire that can burn that house down. And our tongue is like that. Our tongues are flames. And if your mother taught you like mine did, she would have told you you don't play with fire. Your words ignite. Our words they start a fire when spoken. You see, the thing about words is, <laughs> once they ignite, they ignite. They ignite hope. They ignite healing. They ignite joy and love. Miracles happen when you speak. Breakthroughs happen when you speak. Healing happens when you speak. Lazarus, come out. 
silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Let there be light. Let there be stars and the moon and skies. All words were spoken and then something happened. But in the same breath that our words can ignite for the glory of God, for miracles, for encouragement, our words can wound and they can hurt. Our words can ignite bitterness, low self-esteem, and even hopelessness and helplessness to someone. So let me ask you, what kind of fire are your words lighting up? What kind of fire are you speaking? What flames come out of your mouth? What, when, when, when those fiery words leave your mouth, what's their purpose? When those fiery words leave your mouth, what's their purpose? But imagine, just imagine the fire you ignite when you're speaking the word of God. Imagine the fire in your soul when you tell yourself, Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Exodus 14 and verse 14, the Lord will fight for me and I shall hold my peace. Imagine what you ignite when you look in the mirror and say, I am the head and not the tail according to God's word. I am more than a conqueror. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Speaking the word of God will light up a fire like no other. So I'm telling you from today, something has to change. Your words have to change from today. Speak over your life and your family. From today, speak life into the blessings that lie dormant over you. From today, oh, somebody's not listening to me right now. Speak that business into existence from today. Speak life into the blessings that lie dormant over you from today. Speak the walls of Jericho in your life and tell them to come down. Speak to that storm in your life and command it to be still. You have the power, the power to heal and to hurt, to build and to destroy. power to provide warmth to someone or to hurt and burn them. Be careful how you use your tongue, brothers and sisters. Be careful how you use your tongue. Matthew 12, 37 says, for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Don't play with fire. Indeed, only God can speak and create, but God has also spoken several promises in the Bible. And as a believer, we can speak those promises into existence concerning our lives. God says, if it aligns itself with my will, if you speak it in my name, if you believe and have faith that I can, then your words can move things in the spiritual realm. Words have impact when you speak. Words can hit someone and destroy them emotionally without you ever touching that person. But words also have life. And child of God, learn how to speak. 
Learn how to declare. Learn how to claim things into existence. Your words can speak life into your own situation. If you're facing an illness, tell yourself that by his stripes, I am healed. Jesus has come to give me life and life more abundantly, and you will see that your faith grows. The Bible says you are snared by the words of your mouth. In Proverbs 6, 2, other translations say trapped or caught. Either way, these are very strong and graphic descriptions of the effect of words. Words can entangle you or impede you if you don't take enough care when speaking. Let's apply this to the world. So rather than being trapped or snared by negative words, be trapped and snared by positive words, by the living Word of God. As you speak the Word of God and your faith grows, rest assured that you are reminding the devil of the power of God. You are reminding him of the victory that you have in Jesus Christ. Through speaking the Word of God in your own life, you are doing everything that he doesn't want. You're building your faith. The Word is renewing your mind. You're growing in belief and confidence in God. And ultimately, you realize the power that God has given us. Luke 10, 19 says, God has given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Words matter. In many ways, words control us. The words we use define us. The way we speak to or the way we speak of others reveals our character. Remember the words of the psalmist who said, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And we need that same spirit. If what I am saying is not pleasing in his sight, then it's not profitable for me to even say. May I also remind you to never miss an opportunity to encourage someone. The words of encouragement you offer someone today might stay with them for a lifetime. So be careful with the impact of your words. Mature Christians build each other up in word and in deed. Our words matter, and the word of God matters even more. Speak it over your life. That's how you speak things into existence. When words are spoken in line with the will of God, with the word of God, then healing will happen. Marriages will be restored. Ideas will become a reality. Generational curses are broken. God tells us in his word that the tongue has incredible power. When you use words the right way, they have the power to move mountains. And equally, if you misuse your words, if you speak without being mindful of your words, they can cause your entire life to go up in smoke. We are told repeatedly in the word of God to be mindful of our words. 1 Peter 3.10 For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Colossians 4 and 6 Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Proverbs 10:19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 15:4. A wholesome tongue 
is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 21, 23, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Over and over again, the Bible repeatedly tells us in different ways the same message. Words matter. Your words matter. We all face struggles. A struggle of being strong when you feel weak, or the struggle of having faith when fear is an option. There's the struggle of being a blessing or a burden to those around you. There's a struggle of pressing on when you feel like giving up. There's even a struggle of giving into temptation, saying no, when your body is saying yes. And all of these struggles are often secret internal fights. No one else usually has any knowledge about what you're struggling with. One speaker said, I don't ordinarily struggle with things that I am good at. In fact, that would not be called a struggle at all. My struggles usually occur in areas where I'm the weakest, the area called flesh. No matter race, creed, or gender, people everywhere are wrestling with something within their flesh. Apostle Paul in Romans 7 verse 15 said, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Sin attempts to creep in and disrupt what God is doing in our lives. And just because we are saved, that doesn't make us immune. It does not mean that we will no longer struggle with sin. But I would like to encourage the person who is there saying, I'm tired of struggling. I'm so tired of trying and falling short. I'm so tired of the shame, the feelings of guilt, the feelings of not being good enough. If you're out there and you feel this way, I want you to know that you should not rely on your own willpower, on your own strength, but instead, lean on the Lord. The only way that you will defeat sin is to have an attitude. Have a heart and mindset that says less of me and more of you, Jesus. Your desire to have Jesus must be greater than your desire for sin. And if it's not, then begin to starve that evil desire, starve that habit or addiction, starve that sin. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. Starve him of your attention. Starve him of your time. Put all your effort, all your affection and energy in building a desire to seek and chase after the Lord. Starve the flesh and feed your faith. Starve your fears. Starve your doubts. Feed your spirit man. Feed the inner man who is drawn to God. From a personal point of view, I can say, if it hadn't been for the Lord on my side, I would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. I thank the Lord for giving me grace each time I felt unworthy. 
I thank the Lord for reaching down and pulling me up and out of a pit of despair. I thank him for reaching out and bringing his everlasting love into my life. And saints, God can do the same for you too. He can remove that stench of sin. He can make you feel clean. He alone can renew your heart and give you a new holy passion. Maybe you're facing a situation that feels overwhelming. Maybe you feel stuck. You're just barely keeping your head above water. Remember that being without hope goes together with being without God. If you're without God, you're without hope. If you're with God, you have a future. Don't underestimate the power of the Word of God. It's a living word, a word that gives you hope. It offers hope for all of life. It offers hope for the sick. It offers hope for broken marriages and relationships. It offers hope for the most challenging problems we face. The certainty of your hope should be based on Christ, meaning that even though everything might not go according to plan, it is still working for my good. That's the foundation we ought to have. Never giving up. Never losing hope. Because Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. My hope is in Christ. As the living and the written word of God. The name of Jesus is power. When I hear his name, I imagine all the miracles he performed. I imagine him standing outside of the tomb and speaking out boldly, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes back to life. I imagine Jesus Christ standing in the middle of a storm and speaking with authority, peace be still. And even the storm bows down because there is power in the name of Jesus. For you to experience the power of God, for you to witness the hand of God, there has to be a wall. There needs to be some kind of adversity, some type of challenge before God acts. You can only break through when you hit a wall. And we have all kinds of walls in our lives, walls of limitations, where you've never really believed there is more for your life. Walls built from things we've heard where you've been told this is as far as you can go. Walls of bitterness, where you've been hurt before and you've been betrayed. Or walls of doubt, where you believe God can do it for someone else, but not for you. Walls of unforgiveness, where you're still holding on to a grudge. You're still holding on to a comment. You still haven't forgiven. There are all types of walls that we face. Joshua and his army had to face a wall one day. And the funny thing about God is, he'll never give you a breakthrough the way you want it. In Isaiah it says, for my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So we can't think like God. We can't anticipate how he moves or when he moves, but we must believe that he will move. 
Do you think that Joshua thought his breakthrough would come from circling the walls of Jericho? Imagine doing that one day. Nothing happens. Two days, and nothing happens. Four, five, six days, nothing happens. But in God's timing, on the seventh day, Joshua had a breakthrough. Your breakthrough will appear on the path of obedience, on the path where you wait on God, trust God, and believe in God. That's the roadmap to a breakthrough. And God will make you wait. That's why we are told throughout the Bible, for we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. In Galatians, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. In Psalms 130, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. There's a blessing in waiting. It has everything to do with God's timing. Your walls will come down when you wait on God. Your breakthrough will come when you wait on God. The walls of Jericho in your life, regardless how big, regardless how solid they look, they will come down. Faith is a life of action based on what you believe to be true. For example, the action of not worrying about everything is because you believe that God is in control. The action of not trying to fix everything is because you believe that God is in control. And the second statement is, faith is doing your part, which is trusting God to do His part. Do your part, which is to believe, and leave God to do His part. Some of the enemies of faith are fear, which is believing circumstances, imaginations, expectations, or statistics instead of God. Then there is pride, which is placing more belief in yourself instead of God. And finally, there is unbelief, which is believing nothing of God or believing everything but God. So friends, let's learn to trust and obey God. Let's learn to apply His Word over circumstances and emotions. Studies will reveal to you that approximately 70% of people suffer from a sense of inadequacy or issues with self-worth. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Am I good enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I smart enough? Do they like me? These are questions of self-doubt. These are questions underlined with insecurity issues and nearly everyone I know has had to contend and wrestle with questions like these at some point. Don't allow yourself to be defined by what people say. As a matter of fact, you should only ever define yourself, find yourself, identify yourself by what God says. God says you are His child. God says you have been forgiven. God says He has a plan for your life a plan to give you a hope and a future. God says you are his masterpiece. 
God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God says you have been redeemed. He says you are beautiful, and that's how you should identify yourself. I want you to make sure that you keep your worth in the right place. Develop a mentality that whenever people try to label you, whenever they try and identify us how they want to, we need to know and remind ourselves that my worth is not defined by what others say. My worth is defined based on what God said. One of the things that breeds insecurity is this issue of comparison. When God made you, He never made you to be like anybody else. Whenever you begin to compare, whenever you begin to compete, one of two things happen. Either you become full of pride and class yourself in a category of being better, wiser, stronger, richer than someone else, or the other thing that can happen is you will feel low and worthless. And neither one of those is what God has called you to be. The only person you can really ever compete with is yourself. Be a better person today than you were yesterday. Pray more today than you did yesterday. Perform better deeds today than you did yesterday. This is what God has called you. Never in his plan would God want you to spend your life comparing yourself to every other person. Comparison is the enemy of joy. You want to be unhappy in life? You want to be pitiful in life? You want to be miserable in life? Then spend your life trying to measure it or compare it against somebody else. One writer said it like this, when it comes to self-worth, look at yourself in the mirror and begin to celebrate how God wired you, how God made you, what God has done in your life. You ought to celebrate your skin color, your shape, your size, your height, your hair, and everything about you. There will come a time when the devil will remind you of your shortcomings, of your struggles, of your inadequacies and your weaknesses. And when he tries to do that, when he tries to plant that seed, you remind yourself you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You remind yourself that you were formed, you were created, you were constructed by a God who doesn't make mistakes. Your worth is defined based of what God says. Don't be that person, the person who tries to become something else and tries to change who they are, tries to change their lifestyle, change everything about yourself, all to acquire the love of someone else, the approval of someone else. No. Love you for who God made you to be. You begin to cultivate your self-worth by telling yourself what God says about you. And I wonder if there's someone who needs to hear this, someone that's gotten to the point in your life where you can declare, may God be praised. Things didn't turn out like I wanted them to, but may God be praised. My relationship didn't work out like I planned, but God be praised. I'm not where I wanna be, but God be praised. Baby out of wetlock, you've got a degree, but you're not working in your profession. You started a business, but it's struggling. Nevertheless, may God be praised. In fact, get to the point where you can say, you may not like me, but I like me. You may not love me, but God loves me. 
and I love me. Know your worth. I need you to understand that whenever we criticize what we have, whenever we wish we were that way, or a little bit more in this area, and a little bit less in that area, it's like you're saying, hey God, you made a mistake. You should have added a bit more and taken a bit less, when instead we should learn to praise God for who we are and how God has wired you. When you begin to do that, that's when you begin to see God work in a whole new way in our lives. Stop allowing people to put labels on your life. Be careful about people trying to label you and trying to make you into something that you are not. I am more than my imperfections. I am more than my height and weight. I am more than my past mistakes. I am more than my job title. All of us must understand, if we really want to overcome these issues of security, that we need to face them head on. Deal with that issue of self-doubt directly. No one is perfect. Be careful not to define yourself by your flaws. Be careful not to define yourself by the inadequacies in your life. Be careful not to fool yourself and be measured by standards that someone else believes. Be careful to guard your self-confidence and self-worth in God, because if you don't get this, you'll find that the devil loves to remind us of whatever we may be struggling with. He loves to remind us of whatever we're not that good at. But whenever Satan or the enemy or someone in your life tries to remind you of your weakness, of your inadequacies, you've got to open your mind and open your Bible to Psalm 139, for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. So hear me when I say, you're more than enough. I don't care what your job is. You're more than enough. I don't care if you had a baby out of wedlock. You are more than enough. I don't care what came your way. You're more than enough. I don't care what your past says. You are more than enough. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are the head and not the tail. Stand by me, God. Stand by me, God. I've come to the realization that on my own, it's impossible to win. On my own, there are some strongholds that I can't break. There are some problems that I can't overcome on my own. So I need you, God, to stand by me. As for my emotions, I struggle to control them on my own. There are some giants I can't fight with my own strength. Stand by me, God, because by myself it won't work. And without your grace, everything is out of my reach. My prayer is that the Lord stands by me. Stand by me in the storm. Stand by me in the valley of the shadow of death. Stand by me in the fiery furnace. 
Stand by me when I can't see a way out. When the enemy comes at me like a flood, raise up a standard. Stand by me. So when the strongholds in your life overwhelm you, when your problems are daunting, when emotions are running out of control, ask God to stand by you. Jesus promised us that we would never be alone. When the odds are against us, whether you're in the lion's den or in the eye of a storm, God is faithful and he will stand by you. Ask God to stand by you. Jesus promised us that we would never be alone. When the odds are against us, whether you're in the lion's den or in the eye of a storm, God is faithful and he will stand by you. Stand by me in the storm. Stand by me in the valley of the shadow of death. Stand by me in the fiery furnace. Stand by me when I can't see a way out. When the enemy comes at me like a flood, raise up a standard. Stand by me. found myself saying words that I never thought I would say in my life. It was good for me that I was afflicted because although I was afflicted, I came out of that struggle knowing that God will never leave me nor forsake me. Although I was hard pressed on every side, I was never crushed. Although I was perplexed, I was never in despair. I may have been persecuted, but God never abandoned me. The Lord sometimes uses our troubles to remind us that He is a deliverer. He is a savior. He is our hope and rescue. And the thing is, with some of us, it takes trouble. It takes a tough situation to finally get us on our knees and pray. As Christians, we have to come to the point of realization that there's a battle going on for our soul. But God has already provided the path to our ultimate victory through His grace and mercy. My story is a hard one to tell. I've hit rock bottom. I've turned my back on God and even though I was raised in the church, I, I did things my own way and chose the broad road because there wasn't enough room on the straight and narrow road. But that was until life happened. Life brought me to my knees. It made me go and seek a power that is bigger than anything I had access to. My problems, as many as they were, made me seek divine intervention, a supernatural solution that was beyond the natural resources of a doctor, a psychologist, or a, a therapist. Where I once stood tall and relied on my own skills, my own resources, life took me to the feet of God asking for forgiveness, begging for mercy. I wasn't worthy, but I was still loved. I wasn't faithful, but I was still forgiven. And for anyone else who may be going through what I went through, for anyone else who may need this word of encouragement, I want to tell you that although you may be hard pressed on every side, but you are not crushed. 
you might be discouraged, but you are not destroyed. Although you are perplexed, you have not been driven to despair. The bottom line is, regardless of how bad or how messed up you think your situation is, you are not forsaken. So as a child of God, I need to come to the understanding that for me to be an effective servant in God's kingdom, I have to overcome fear. I have to believe what God's word says concerning fear. I have to believe who God says I am. Overcoming fear will help reach my potential and exercise my rights as a born-again believer, as a joint heir with Christ. When addressing some of life's difficulties, James the Apostle said that we should count it all joy when we fall into trying times, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, which leads to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And Paul also said, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope. I struggled to understand this. If I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then why should I find joy in suffering? Why should I find joy in trying times? But the Lord revealed to me that adversity is what gets our attention. When I come face to face with a mountain, with a pharaoh in my life, a fiery furnace, I get to the understanding that some things are just too big for me. Some problems are too much for my intellect. Some fires are too hot to handle for me to put out on my own. And once I realized this, I turned to God. I turn to an authority that is higher than myself, my resources, or my own judgment. In fact, one man said it best. He said, troubles point out our weaknesses and magnify God's strength. And this falls in line with the word of God in 2 Corinthians when it says, for when I am weak, he is strong. You see, there is a reason why the testing of your faith will produce endurance and spiritual maturity. The way you seek God during times of abundance and peace is different from how you'll seek Him when your back is against the wall. When you can resort to no one else, when the solution can be found nowhere else but in God, then the way you seek Him will be different. The way you run after His heart will be different. The hunger you'll have will be different. But above all, troubles, challenges, problems? They teach us to rely on God. I can safely say, if it hadn't been for the Lord, I don't know if I could have made it. The testing of our faith helps us to realize that through it all, through the pain, through the heartache, God placed his hand over my life and guided my steps. So don't worry the next time you face adversity. It is well. Remember the word of God. Remember what he says about you. His plans for you are good. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So let me tell you, you are valuable. The word of God tells you not to fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. You have been saved by grace. You've been justified by faith. I recently heard the phrase, 
unbelieving believers. It's contradicting, isn't it? An unbelieving believer? You see, this is the type of person that knows of God, but doesn't know God personally. They can tell you that God created the heavens and the earth, but they couldn't tell you what God has done for them on a personal level. There's no personal experience. There's no relationship. They know the Word of God. They can tell you how many books are in the Bible. They can recite chapters, but the Word doesn't live. It doesn't live in their heart. There's no application. There's no belief in the power of the Word. Examine yourself. Check your own heart. Do you believe all the way? Do you really believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you? Do you really believe that Jesus, the son of God, died and rose again? Do you really believe that all power on heaven and earth belongs to the king of kings? Do you really believe that there is a name you can call on that is above every other name. Psalms 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Examine yourself. Who or what holds your trust? Are you sold out for God? Are you convinced, so persuaded, that neither life nor death nor angels or principalities nor height or any depth can separate you from the love of God? Do you really believe? Or as Timothy said, are you an unbelieving believer who has a form of godliness but denies the power of God? Be careful that you are not found to be lukewarm. God says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot or cold, and because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out. You see, God isn't playing when it comes to our belief. So check yourself. Is God first in your life? Have you made room for God? Or do you only call him on Sunday? Are you praying while things are still good? Or do you only pray when you need something? Check your heart. Because if you really believed, if you truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then like the book of Matthew says, if any man wants to follow God, he must deny himself and take up his cross. If you really believe, then you need to turn to God daily not only in hard times. If you really believe, then you would live a life where you know you're not perfect. But when you're weak, when you're tempted, your strength is found in God. If you really believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, then give Him the throne to your heart. Walk by faith, not by sight. Do not be an unbelieving believer. Be all the way, all in, for Christ. 
The world talks about habits as if they are insignificant or as if they are harmless. As if they are something that we just fall into by accident. Well, in the Bible, Paul's words in Romans 7 verse 15 are something that we can relate to in one way or another. He said, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. In other words, Paul is saying, I really don't understand what's going on. I want to do what is right, but I simply don't do it. Instead, I keep falling into what I hate to do. And I'm sure this is something we can all relate to. The Apostle Paul understood his dilemma. He had good intentions, but he still did wrong. You and I must understand that even good people are sometimes bound by bad habits. A habit is a powerful thing. Some of us reason in our minds. We think that if we admit that we have a bad habit, then that means we are evil or possessed. But denial is not the way to deal with the problem. Neither is condemning yourself. We need to be honest and look at your life just like Paul did and evaluate yourself. What is this thing that you keep finding yourself doing that you hate to do? What is it that you do even though you know you shouldn't? And a practical way to look at it is what triggers what you do? Is it your eyes? Is it what you hear? Because every habit has a trigger before it gets to the stage where it becomes an addiction. And some of us forget that we have power through the Lord Jesus Christ, but we still need to do some work ourselves. We still need to make an effort to guard ourselves from falling. God can set you free from a sin, but if you keep placing yourself in an environment, in a situation that triggers that sin, then what do you think will happen? He can set you free from alcohol, but you can't keep hanging around people who are drinking. He can set you free from sexual immorality, but you cannot keep putting yourself in compromising situations. You have to identify the triggers. In 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 19, he says, For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And I believe the Bible is speaking of habits. And the reason habits are so powerful is because they are so subtle. They creep in and they slowly bind you. And the danger is that they will eventually break your will. And what I mean when I say habits break your will is that once you have allowed a habit to control you, once it becomes a lifestyle, then like the Bible says, that habit is your master. Whatever controls you becomes your master. That habit will eventually break you down to the point 
where you don't even try to resist because you feel like you can't break free. The attitude becomes, why should I try? I always go back to doing it again. That's what a habit will do. It will break your will to fight. And if you take time to reflect on yourself, you'll find that your habits can reveal important things about your life. The habits in our lives reflect our thoughts. The habits in our lives reflect our priorities. They even reflect where we place our hearts in relation to God. Some people are controlled by their work and their career. Some are slaves to their emotions. Some people are slaves to gossip or other people's opinions. Your habits, the things that control you, can lead you to dark places. This is why I strongly believe that we should make a conscious effort to build godly habits. To build habits that will lead us to eternal life. To build habits that will strengthen our spirit man. I believe that our prayer should be just like the passage in Psalm 139. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I believe this needs to be our prayer today. Search me, Lord. Are my habits leading me the right way? Know my heart. Are my motives godly and pure? Are my thoughts pleasing to you? Are my habits wicked in any way? You see, how we spend our time reflects what we value. And what we value reflects our identity. Habits are formed when you perform an action so often that it becomes a part of you. And as a Christian, prayer should not be an act, but it should be a lifestyle. Worship is not just for Sunday morning, it's a lifestyle. Reading the word of God should be a lifestyle, it should be a part of you. Now of course there are healthy habits in this world and there are unhealthy habits. But we want to focus on the habits which are godly and ungodly. What are some of the habits that are good for our spiritual health? What will help us to grow in faith and in belief? Well firstly, I believe that we need to develop a habit of prayer and fasting. That should be something that we value, that should be part of our identity. And I can understand that to some people, it's hard to pray. They struggle because it's not a habit, or it's not a lifestyle that they are familiar with. But we need to fight to make sure that prayer becomes a part of our identity. Because the more you do it, the more you realise that prayer is intimate time spent with the Lord. He wants us to come to Him with our thoughts and feelings. Prayer is meant for us. 
Prayer sharpens our focus, it strengthens our resolve, it slays our doubts and fear. More prayer, more power. Once prayer becomes a habit, once it becomes a lifestyle and you are able to always communicate with God, that's when you will start to experience spiritual growth. That's when you'll grow closer to the Lord and He will draw near to you. So whether you're in the middle of a trial, whether you're celebrating a great victory, keep praying. Make an effort to make prayer a habit. Prayer that starts as a habit becomes a lifestyle and that can change your perspective on everything. Another important habit that we need to develop in our lives is reading the Word of God. The Bible is one of the most valuable resources that we as believers have here on earth. It's God's gift to us, it's the roadmap for our lives. The more we read it, the more we soak up the truth. The more value we place on the Bible, then the more it becomes a habit, a habitual practice for us to constantly read, meditate and stay in the Word of God. That's when we'll start to see the world the way that God desires for us to see it. For us to be in the world but not of the world. In Jeremiah 23 verse 29, the Bible reads, Is not my word like a fire? says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. These are symbolic descriptions as God likens his word to a fire and a hammer. But why fire? Why liken his word to a fire? I believe that this is because fire destroys impurities. When you look at one of the oldest methods of purifying metals, you refine it with a flame. And just like the metal can be purified through fire, our hearts, our souls, our impurities, our thoughts are refined through the word of God. That's why God likens his word to a fire. That's how you can renew your mind and create new habits by reading the word of God. And when you take a look at a hammer and you look at the word of God being described as being like a hammer, you have to understand that the same hammer that destroys is the same hammer that can build or strengthen and reinforce. The word of God is like a hammer, it destroys evil, it crushes a person's unholy conscience. It destroys that sinful way of thinking. And here's how it helps to build and strengthen the believer. When we read the word of God, our attitude, the innermost part of us begin to change and start to be molded and shaped by the spirit of God. James 1 verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. The word of God is like a mirror. And what does a mirror do? It allows one to see their blemishes 
and imperfections. The Word of God shows us the true reflection of what we should aspire to be in terms of being Christ-like, but it also shows us where we fall short. For example, when I place the Word of God as a mirror, and I read Hebrews 12 verse 14 which says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So when I look at myself through the lens or the reflection of the Word of God, looking at this verse, then I can notice a blemish of anger. I can tell whether or not I am pursuing peace with all people. Am I pursuing holiness? Meaning that I will have to change myself and live according to the word of God, which tells me to pursue peace with all people and to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I also believe that we should be in the habit of thankfulness. Instead of always focusing on what we don't have, instead of always focusing on what we could have, Instead of having pages and pages of prayer requests, we should be grateful for what God has given us. We should be thankful and count our blessings. The book of Philippians 4 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. In Colossians 3 verse 2 it says, Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. In a world full of negativity, in a world full of a mentality of I want more, I need more, making a habit of thankfulness is perhaps one of the best things we can do for our spiritual health. It's one of the best things that we can do to praise and worship God. Thank Him. Our habits aren't just something that we do. They aren't just part of our daily routine. Habits transform the way we live our lives. And it's not always easy to change our habits, unfortunately. It can be and often is a hard process. It will be hard to make prayer a lifestyle and a habit if you haven't been practicing it. It will require effort to make reading the word of God daily and meditating on his word daily a habit. But this is where we also need to ask the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit for help. He will give us the strength to let go of our bad habits and the courage to take up new habits. Godly habits can not only change the trajectory of your life, but they influence your life in eternity. So let God intervene, let him root out the unhealthy habits and replace them with ones that draw you closer to him. Let God change your habits and he will change your life.